So, Sean, I didn't know, Stomp told me that he basically said that you were going to talk through the log and not actually do yourself. So I thought this was going to be like a vent- ventriloquist thing. But in my vehicle. I could go get it, but... All right, but so you're not going to talk through Larry. You're going to talk like as a normal self. Yeah, I talk for Larry as well, you know? You do. Do you change voices or do you just like <laughs> role play? Is it, this the same voice as Larry? You know, when people have fun with it, depending on how they see Larry and the personality that they give, I'll try to like feed, feed off that. But yeah, he's, he's roughly the same as me. Okay. Oh, that's so, hilarious. The voices are the same. All right. That makes sense. All right, Stomp. So just going down our list of show openers here, you put something in here that I don't even know what this means. Stick season is here. Like, what is it? What? I've never heard of this. Yeah. This sounds like a Vermont thing. Well, it is a Vermont thing. Uh, it's a, I've known it as a, like a New Hampshire thing, which it sort of surprised me. Stick season is when the leaves fall off the trees and uh, you lead into winter, but it's stick season. So there's no uh, leaves on the trees and you can see distantly into the woods. It's really a neat season. It's great for bushwhacking. But um, if you do some research about stick season, it does go back to Vermont. Like I, I looked at about a half a dozen uh, websites and they all tie back to Vermont. So I, I guess the concept of stick season um, is connected to Vermont, which is interesting. Um, but that didn't stop me because I went to Wikipedia and I changed the uh, entry to say that it covers all northeastern states. <laughs> so sorry, Vermonters, you're probably going to be pissed at me. <laughs> I, I just feel like we should just stick with shoulder season. It's too confusing. I can't mm. deal with another season. Oh, I'm telling you, dude. But as a bushwhacker, stick season is really important for navigation. It's just, I love it. It's the best time to bushwhack. You know what I mean? You, right. Yeah. You, you have fun. Okay. <laughs> I did a little bushwhack. As a matter of fact, I did do a little bushwhack I'll talk about later. But, um, oh, nice. All right. So, Snop, you sent me this thing. This is like a true crime type of deal. So, this happened in Oklahoma. These four guys, I've been I've been watching this. It's on the news. Like so, these four have guys. Yeah, I have been. It's been, been it's been all over the news. It's kind of a mystery. So these four guys took off. Like originally, like I had it in my mind, like they were like, oh, they're going out for a bike ride. So I thought it was going to be like, you know, all the dads in my neighborhood, like we all get in our like little Whee! spandex and our little skinny bikes and go cruising <laughs> off. But like these guys were out to 
they said they're in Oklahoma, so it's a different vibe out there. But they, they sure. were going to go hit a lick, which apparently means that they were going to go do something criminal. That's the update, I guess. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. So yeah, what else so, happened? So these four guys were off riding their bikes, and um, I'm assuming these were just like not the kind of bikes we think of. Um, and somehow they were looking to potentially do some kind of criminal activity, and they ended up dismembered. And the bikes are nowhere to be found, so it's a very Fargo kind of Ozarks vibe. Yeah, so this one stump. So the lickies jumped jumped the lickers. I guess so. Yeah, they arrested yeah. one guy. So I'll it, include that in the show notes. Interesting. Um, Dismembered, so, huh? Eesh. Yeah, that it's is very pretty. Creepy. Uh, oh yeah, it's definitely some gang activity, perhaps. Yeah. So if anybody knows anything about Oklahoma, it's like it sounds very like, um, like I said, Fargo or Ozarks, Netflix type of thing. Yeah. And I wanted your take on it because I know you love this true crime stuff. And I do. Yeah, I do. So, and um, All right. So just moving on, Stomp, you got another good article on here. I actually have a story about this, but this, this is, is an article. Really interesting. Bow hunter, right? Yeah. Well, it's a it's a bow hunter's gear that was left behind. Mm hmm. So essentially, the story is very simple. Um, an arrow lost by an earlier hunter impaled a bow hunter in the leg. And um, so I guess that, you know, the long and short of this is that if there is any way you can retrieve your arrow, if you're a bow hunter, do so because people are getting impaled by these things. And it hit me as a, as a bushwhacker as well. Like, oh, damn, I never thought of that. I guess the... Uh, the the heads of those arrows are razor sharp, and uh, not only can it hurt a human, but it can impale an animal as well. So, very interesting story. I never considered that. Yeah, it's crazy. And a matter of fact, I have a story about this. So, I have somebody who may or may not be related to me that got in a little bit of trouble with the police for this. So, okay. they were hunting out and about pretty close to where like uh, people live, and yeah. little kids were playing out in the woods, and luckily they found and you know the person that i i may or may not be related to was out i don't know if he was hunting or if he was target practicing or whatever but he left a an arrow out there on the ground he couldn't find it or i don't know what they what was going on it's either they couldn't find it or they've been drinking and forgot to pick it up i don't know but um <laughs> little kids found it and you know they come running on they're like oh look what i had and th these things are razor sharp mm -hmm. and you know, the police came, they're all searching around the backyard, trying to investigate who it could possibly be. There's only one person in the area that, like, it was known to hunt, so yeah. they circled in on that person pretty quickly, and they got a, I don't know if they got a fine or if they got a warning or, or whatnot, but you got to make sure that you find your arrows. Yep. Yeah, who knew? And then, Stomp, we got an update on the cheating fisherman story. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about <laughs> these guys that, Sean, have you, you heard about this one, the fishing guys? I have heard about Shady. Crazy. Yeah, very shady. So um, there's an update that these guys got charged with, um, which is, I mean, it, it's interesting, but it's also kind of crazy. So they're facing multiple felony charges. So these fishermen people do not mess around at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then they also impounded their boats. These boats are expensive, too. I think these boats are probably worth like $100,000 or more. The boat, trailer, um, they're, they're being seized under the guys that they're criminal tools so that uh, they can't right. use them anymore. So these guys really, really shot themselves in the foot. Hmm. Well, listen, 
Oh, no pun intended, right? <clears throat> Listen to this. Um, the prize total would have been $28,000 had they pulled this off. So, I mean, that, that, that's pretty substantial larceny, I suppose. Um, wow. It is. Really it interesting. Is, that, well, it makes sense there being actual weighted heavy charges, you know? That's, that's some serious money. Yeah, well, it is interesting. Like, I put a little note on here, and I was like, compare this to baseball cheating. Because if you, I don't know if you follow Major League Baseball or not, but like last year, the first half of the season, it was out of control with the amount of pitchers that were using substance. They had it all over their bodies, and they were using substances like uh, Vaseline or whatever, anything to get a good grip on the ball. The spin rate on the pitching uh, for for these guys was like out of control and everybody knew it. There was on video, there was videos of people like just breaking down the cheating yeah. and you know, nothing, no, no consequences for anybody. I think maybe one or two people got suspended, but it's interesting. Like those guys are getting paid millions of dollars and there's no consequences for them blatantly cheating. Whereas these fishermen are going to probably go to jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true too. So, all right. Well, moving on to um, a new topic here. So, oh, actually, this is a similar topic about cheating, but this one has to do with uh, the fattest beer competition. So, beer as in uh, the kind that can kill you, not not the kind that you drink. So, <laughs> right. there's a competition in Alaska that um, you can vote on the fattest beer in a particular area. I guess it's it's in uh, Katmai. National Park, and they run this Fat Beer Week, which is a knockout-style online competition that allows people to vote on yeah. which brown beers have gained the most weight between summer and fall. So they just gorge themselves on salmon and other food, and then mm-hmm. I guess people get to vote online. But anytime there's a competition, somebody will find a way to cheat. So beer number 435, who is also known as Holly, had initially been the winner but an investigation found that Hawley had been propelled to victory by receiving 9,000 votes in a short span of time. Mm-hmm. So there's some so, ballot stuffing going on, huh? I'm shocked that, like, so the, the true votes were like 37,000 for this other one, and then Hawley had 30,000. I'm shocked that that many people have, like, who would take a second to vote for a fat bear? I, I would never do that. It's quite a community. It's pretty amazing. So... <laughs> So, yeah, they bagged this person. So the quote is uh, from the National Park, like bears stuff their face with fish, our ballot box, too, has been stuffed. Dun, dun, dun. stolen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The election, I don't want to go there. Election deniers. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go there. Anyway, but um, so keeping on, so moving on from cheating, but continuing on with bear news. Oh, stuff. You, you sent me this video. So this dude is climbing. Yeah. Is this a black bear? It, yeah, apparently it's a black bear, and it's uh, Mount Futago in Japan, and this is, you know, it's like the second I saw it, it was already viral. This, this, everybody's going to know this one or have seen it. Uh, so yeah, this climber is climbing uh, down this mountain in Japan when a black bear just rapidly attacks him at high speed and falls past the climber, and fortunately for the climber, the climber ends up on high ground above the bear and is able to kick the bear away. It's um, it's pretty frenetic and chaotic. It's quite the video. What do you you, you saw the video, right, guys? Both of you. I have not seen the video. Oh, yeah. Sean, you got to see this, man. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I've seen it. And like now, so I'm starting to see a pattern like there's the video of the girl pushing the beer off of the wall. Then there's the guy that threw the, the flip-flop at the beer, and then this one kicked it. So I feel like uh, brown beers and grizzly beers, that's another level. But I yeah. feel like with a black beer, I kind of think I can take it in a fight. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> or at least stun it enough to run away. Yeah, I guess, if you have the right leverage and, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. I wouldn't want to test the theory, Mike. Do you uh, wrestle? Well, Are you a wrestler? I was a wrestler in high school, which that's a great segue stomp because we have another story here. There you which go. Is two wrestlers from Wyoming. So when you wrestle, like wrestling in New England states is like, we get laughed at. Like the real wrestlers are these dudes that come from like South Dakota, Wyoming, Iowa. Um, Ohio and New Jersey are, are pretty well known for Texas, California, Florida. But like these, these like Wyoming guys are crazy wrestlers. So these two, two wrestlers, they were... Um, doing what's that thing that our friend Casey does like he looks for antlers what is that called I'm not sure if there's a name so, for whatever that. scavenging for antlers and so these four guys were in Wyoming they were looking for antlers um, that fall off the animals and they split up into two and these two guys ended up um, I guess they stumbled on a pile of grizzly bear scat and then before they could even turn around, uh, one of them had gotten attacked by the bear. And then um, he had sort of like curled up in a ball, froze. The other guy actually went after the bear, pushed it enough to scare it. The first guy was bloodied up, ripped apart pretty badly. But they were able to reconnect with their two friends and get him out of there. But he was really bloodied up. So I'll, I'll include the the article in the show notes and you can take a look. But this guy looked like he had gone through like 12 rounds. He looked like Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti after the fight. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. And the other guy yeah. has his forearm all bandaged up. But yes. uh, pretty crazy. Hey, um, Sean, so you're leaving for the AT, I guess. We'll get into this later, but I guess you, you can use Larry the Log to protect yourself, right? Like a bat? Yeah, I did for one of the animals, actually. There was a, <laughs> oh, a bird that was flying overhead and attacking hikers because I think it had laid eggs or it was... It was being territorial, and we had signs up, and I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't think it'll attack me. All of a sudden, I hear it, and it, it flies down, but because the log was across my head, it just hovered over me and flew away. But a lot of hikers on the top of their heads, when they go to turn around, it would get them in the face. Yeah. Huh. But uh, Was it like a, um, a little blackbird, or what kind of bird was it? Oh, what was the bird called? I'll have to think of what the bird was called, but it was in the 100-mile wilderness, and there was mm-hmm. two of them, and they were pretty aggressive. Yeah, we had uh, we had our friend Dave Dillon on, um, pro- I don't know how many episodes ago, but he got attacked by an owl in the Fellsway in, down by Boston, so it's, it does happen. So having the log with you is a good, good defense mechanism for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All hmm. right, Stomp, so another story here. So Rescue is warned not to rely on crowdsourcing trail apps. Yeah. So this is an article that you had linked, and we've had this come up quite a bit. Like, people will rely on all trails, and they'll say, like, oh, I took this trail, and it was rated really high, and um, they get in, they end up getting in big trouble. So mm-hmm. um, you just have to double-check. I think I would always say the, the, the Fish and Game Service will tell you to rely on paper maps and – um, basic and also, fundamental uh, skills compass and whatnot but I right. would say like 
you know, use everything. Use the paper map, use your own research, use if you've got like a Gaia app on your phone or something like that, you can reference that as well. But um, don't necessarily 100% rely on just an app. Correct. Yeah, and this, this according to Alberta Parks, they've uh, rescued at least 300 people um, who've become lost hiking in the province due to poor navigation skills. And it goes on to say, uh, in June, over 100 students and teachers had to be rescued in Austria after a hiking trip went wrong when the teacher was relying on one of these online routes. So, you know, again, like Mike said, just have multiple sources of information uh, so that you can navigate safely and do your homework ahead of time. Yeah, and I am trying to remember the um, the trail... What is the trail to go to Sandwich Dome? Do you remember? So if you go in through um, Flat Pond? Sure. So you have Drakesbrook on the Waterville side, and then you have Smartsbrook um, Trail, which goes up to Sandwich Dome. I believe it's the Sandwich Dome Trail. But it's Smartsbrook. Got it. So I had gotten in trouble one time. I think I've told this story before on um, on a hike to Sandwich Dome. I had went up the Gleason Trail, which is decommissioned. Um, huh. So you can you're supposed to go up Bennett Street Trail, and I had been looking at my Gaia, and I went up Gleason Trail, and I sort of very early on was like, oh, this this doesn't look right. This looks like it's like an abandoned trail, but stubborn me, I was kind of like, well, it just parallels Bennett Street, so. I can cut over pretty easily, but I went up pretty far. I think I went up probably about a mile and a half or so, and finally, like, I just cut over to Bennett Street. I had to bushwhack through, but that was probably the craziest amount of um, moose droppings I had ever seen in an area. So I didn't see any moose, but um, Hmm. even I've fallen victim to that foolishness. And this is from Sandwich Dome. So you're, oh, from the Flat Pond side, right? Flat Pond side, yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, got it. That, that That's an area that I've never been out to. Yeah, and I noticed we do this a lot, Stomp. Like, I actually noticed this when we were talking about um, Carrigane, and I was thinking in terms of coming in from um, Sawyer Pond Road off of 302, but you're so used to coming in from Hancock Notch. So I yeah. think you would reference like, oh, yeah, Livermore's like before mm-hmm. the meaning you're coming in from Hancock Notch, and then I would think... It's, um, I actually thought it was before the parking lot, so we got all messed up. But yeah. you, we all, it seems like we're always approaching things from different sides. Well, which, which is good, actually, in a way. Um, yeah. Just because it just gives the variability, uh, different alternatives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, exactly. listen, I'm going to talk about this, make sure that um, our guest is squared away. But um, we just want to remind people as we're coming up on the holidays, <clears throat> the U.S. Forest Service sells passes to cut down Christmas trees. Uh, it's like five bucks. It was five bucks last year. Um, it's a little bit of work. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's like you got to get out there with your saw and uh, cut something down and then tie it to your, your vehicle and bring it back. But it's a really great uh, money-saving uh, option for folks out there this year. You know, now that the... Uh, Times are a little bit tighter than usual, so check it out. Yeah, I also feel like that's a good move. Again, like sometimes we talk about this, like we were talking about like girls who like have their impression in New Hampshire. Like if you're a new, if you're a new couple and you're a dude and you're trying to impress 
like your your new girlfriend, like that's a great move is get a permit, go out and cut the Christmas tree, take it home and decorate it. Like if you really like someone, like that's a move right there. <laughs> that's a move. I mean, that's coming from a 50-year-old guy that's been married for like 22 years, but I'm just saying, like I think that that's a good call. Yeah, you got to do your homework though. You don't want to bomb out and just end up with a Charlie Brown Christmas tree after two or three hours of trudging through the woods. Oh yeah, you know what it, I mean? can go, it could be disastrous. Like I would oh, advise yeah. if anyone's going to do this and you really like someone, like you better <laughs> scout your tree ahead of time and like make sure it's only like 10 feet off the road that you shoveled out, you know, the whole way. So your little girlfriend is not getting her feet wet, but, uh, but it's a move stomp. Yeah. The process to free. Yeah. I like it. Yes. See? Oh, hell yeah. Exactly. So, all right. So on to, so Stomp, I feel like you need to get our voiceover guy and have him do like a pop culture talk um, voiceover for us. I got a feeling you're probably on that already, but it's, I I like the popcorn, but you got to get his voiceover thing going. (laughs) Yeah, I'll see what I can do. I mean, he's done so much for us so far. I don't want to push it, (laughs) but yeah, maybe I'll. We have coffee. We have coffee. So Yeah, true. Um, True. Well, I've, you know, I've told him that I'm like, dude, you put so much effort in this, please invoice us. And I've never received an invoice. He's, he's a sweetheart. But anyhow. Almost like you, Stomp. I guess. <clears throat> well, yeah. we like him. All right. So pop culture, you want to talk about Star Wars? Well, Star Wars. I might as well just mention it. I've been, I've been fairly laid up. I'm still getting over this cold. I'm like 95% better. So I'm catching up on all the the stuff I've wanted to see for quite some time. So I, I uh, binged Andor and then I just finished up Obi-Wan. I don't know if you guys have seen this or those. Um, and it was pretty cool. A little, little, little quiet, slower pace. But Obi-Wan, I, I had the most comments on. It was like, I really thought the casting was cool. Um, Ewan McGregor's accent for Obi was a little over the top. I don't know if it was just too Alec McGinnis for me uh, for some of the action adventure scenes. Like it just didn't work. Like, I don't know. And James Earl Jones, something weird about him too. It was great hearing his voice doing Darth Vader again, but to me it sounded like he was more of a Nazgul than the old traditional Darth Vader. Like in, even back in the seventies watching the first Star Wars, you got a sense that there was some humanity left in Darth Vader. But this new Darth Vader was like hardcore, just like, kill kill i'm gonna murder you you know it was definitely a a palpable change in darth this time around so i don't know did have you seen any of these redos or side stories mike yeah i saw the uh obi-wan um series and i think it's been a while i think the one thing that stood out to me is that princess leia like as a child is uh, cool she's a pain in the ass right um Big pain in the ass, but like good. It's, it's kind of fun, but they I liked it. It was good, um, but I, I don't remember much about it, so it didn't. I guess didn't make that big of an impression. But I yeah. am going to watch Andor. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, Andor was pretty cool. Um, just a funny reference point. It, tell me if you think it's uh, the lead actor is Alvaro Marx. <laughs> I couldn't help but thinking, oh my god, that's Alvaro <laughs> on screen the whole series. <laughs> All right, I'll t- I'll take a look. That's our friend Alvaro. They were on with uh, Susie. He, Alvaro and Susie were on a couple of episodes ago. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, and then Stomp, you made your big um, celebrity debut on another podcast. So you were on Fantasy Pants, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. So first of all, yes. like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, what I know, is this right? Podcast. <clears throat> we do a little pop culture stuff in the beginning. So 
Yeah, so uh, I want to say I recorded last week with them, and um, it was Jeremy, Dave, and Steve from Reckless, and um, they. It was my idea. I was like, I, I really want to come over and do this if you guys would have me. I and they were just pumped about it, so I joined them for like I don't know two to three hours of um, recording, and I was really impressed. First of all, just technically how they're running the show, Mike. I think you'd be really impressed. They actually run all of the intros and outros and sound effects on the fly like literally live on the fly i was pretty impressed um very cool you know technically all the mics are awesome the sound was killer and then we got to the actual point where we had a play and i was ready to freaking have a heart attack i'm like oh my god because i don't know how to play i never have yeah so uh, over the weekend i was watching youtube videos on how to play D. <laughs> uh, just trying to get a leg up uh you know i came up with a character i made a, a character online uh, he's got a whole backstory so we start recording and the first thing david does is throw me immediately into the fire with an rpg role-playing segment where they introduce my character and it's like Hunger Games with the the crazy TV show with um, the actor there I forget his name um, interviewing the the uh, tributes. Do you remember those scenes like the TV show? Yes, that yeah, whole I thing. That. Yep. So so David reenacted that as Dungeon Master interviewing me, and it was just hilarious. It, it, I think overall they were really happy, and um, it was a good good experience. So that I think that's coming out on the fourteenth, episode nine. Okay. Uh, so keep a lookout, Fantasy Pants. It's a lot of fun. Did you have to alter your voice or did you just use your normal voice? I did. I was Emin Rath from the Silver Hills. <laughs> yes, it was, it was like this pseudo-Germanic accent with with somewhat of a little bit of a lisp. It was, it was pretty funny. Interesting. All right, we'll keep an eye out for that and I'll definitely listen to that. I've listened to a couple episodes. They do a really good job. So they do, fun. yeah. Hats off. Cool. So sponsors and coffee talk stomp. All right. We have one donation from Shandy, who is sick as a dog, and she blamed me. And I don't think anybody can get sick via a podcast, but I guess anything's possible these days. Um, we want to. Well, I did see her posting some nice foliage pictures, so I think she's bounced bounced back. Oh, already. Excellent. Well, Maybe. that's good. And of course, we want to thank Spinner's Pizza Parlor, your location uh, for stickers. If you're in the neighborhood, it's Andover. Massachusetts off of uh, Dascom Road, number one pizza in the region, family owned since 1994. Say hi to Dolls and Pops for us. Give them a big hug. EMS, EMS is killing it. Your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com. I hear that new store in Burlington is doing really well. And of course, at Reckless Brewing, a special thanks where you'll find the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Boom. All right. Well, welcome to episode 79 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we are joined by hiker extraordinaire, Sean Mahoney. So I'm, I'm, I'm hyping you up, Sean. Um, so Sean's known as the crazy guy who hikes with one of the biggest hiking celebrities in the region, <laughs> right. Larry the Log. So Sean has been hiking with his 30 pounds. It's 30 pounds, right? It was 30 when I was doing all the 111. And then it was, or yeah, just under. And then I, I slimmed it down to just over 20 when I was doing the AT. So, all right. 
So you went ultra, ultra light on the AT. Yeah, just in case for the long haul. Nice. All right. So, um, but Sean's been hiking with his um, his log across all of the Northeast's highest peaks, and uh, they even completed the Appalachian Trail this year. So Sean's going to talk about carrying Larry. We'll dig into his hiking experiences in New Hampshire, and we'll talk a little bit about the AT. Um, so all this and some recent search and rescue news. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Okay, let's get started. So normally, Sean, this is where we would talk about beer, but we then this is the beer that we drink, but we are not drinking this month because it's sober October. But I think I saw some pictures of Stomp doing this podcast thing where there was like multiple uh. cans of beer right in front of him. So I think that he, I think he broke, he lost his virginity when it comes to sober oh. October. Oh yeah, Steve blew my cover, man. I can't believe there it. There was well, like two cans of beer right in front of you, and I was like, I know. No <laughs> there were silver bullets too. You know what? I, I literally, I, I could not, you know, avoid the Shame. temptation. It was like a, a new minted, Shame. brewed. IPA, it wasn't even labeled yet in silver cans. It was like, oh my God, yes, I will skip the fast tonight and enjoy this. So, yeah, yeah, you caught me. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. So, you can re, I think that's a thing where you can restart your virginity. So, we're going to restart our sobriety um, in October because I cheated already last week. So, yeah. So, um, and Sean, you drinking anything? Are you a beer drinker? Do you drink at all? I'm not a big beer drinker, but when I finished, uh, Sea Dog did a promotion and a fundraiser for me, and they actually made a Larry the Lager beer. Oh, so that was yeah, that was a good beer. And then uh, the person that I'm with right now at the top of Peak, she likes to crack one open. So sometimes I will have one, but I'm not a big beer drinker now. Yeah, yeah. I don't think either one of us are either, but we typically will have a beer during the show. But I think Stomp was the one that was like, let's do Sober October. So you just have to hit us when mm-hmm. we're not drinking, but we do usually have some kind of a beer. If we can get a Reckless, we will, but otherwise it's anything we'll do. Yeah. So. And uh, before we move on to the segment here, I just want to let people know that Owl's Nest Resort is having a beer walk on October 30th. And this sounds like a great time. Uh, it's 12 to 3 p.m. at... Clubhouse Lane, Thornton, New Hampshire. It's right in our neighborhood here. And uh, basically, you get a taste of all the regional breweries. And it's 15 bucks to get in and uh, 5 bucks for designated drivers. So check that out. It's, again, Owl's Nest, which is a golf golf uh, course here. Owl's Nest Resort, Bear Walk. Looks wicked cool. Awesome. All right, so recent hikes, Stomp. Have you been out there? Have you done anything? I think I saw some pictures from Mrs. Stomp. Yeah, we made it out to the southern end of the Squam Traverse there, uh, Mount Webster, and we went up the Brook Fisher Trail from uh, Perch Pond Road, which is basically in Holderness. And uh, it's a really nice hike. You know, it's a lot of, it's insane. It's the most amount of switchbacks I've ever seen for a trail in the whites. Like, for no reason whatsoever. It's just a million switchbacks. I don't know who designed this trail, but it's crazy. Uh, But what's nice is there's a, before you even get to the summit, there's an overlook that overlooks uh, Rattlesnake, Red Hill Fire Tower, the whole uh, Castle in the Clouds range there, Mount Roberts and all that stuff. And the the foliage was stunning, uh, so it's a really nice hike. I highly recommend it if you want to get a nice view. So, is this the section like if we had kept going past Morgan instead of coming down, would we eventually run into that? Is it part of that range where you go over to Cotton? 
Right. So it's the next peak after Morgan and Percival that we would have hit. Okay. And then after that peak, it's essentially smooth, flat, you know, just it's like a carriage road pretty much most of the way out, I would think. Uh, super easy. That second half is, is cake. Um, so we'll get that done soon. It's, as a matter of fact, some people passed us that had started at Dinsmore or Doublehead, whatever it's called. Is it, what was it, Dins, was it Dinsmore? I can't remember. What, no, I think it's the Doubleheads. So you have Mount Israel, then oh, you have yeah, Dinsmore. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah. then the Doubleheads, right? Yeah. That first peak that you hit when you leave the car and head up, that they started from there. and um, That was Doublehead. They started at like, I think they said nine in the morning and we were there around three. So, you know, it took them several hours, but they were having a great time. So, yeah. But again, no, very few people. So the, the squams are just fantastic. Beautiful, but very, very lightly traveled. Unless you're hitting Morgan and Percival. Yeah. Yeah, that gets busy. But uh, I was out this weekend too. So I joined my friend Tom, who I've hiked with a bunch of, a bunch of different hikes. We've done, you know, we kind of learned together winter hiking and... Um, he was finishing his 4,000 footers, so he's been knocking them off slowly but surely over the last um, year or so to get get to 47. So he had to finish on isolation. So we went up Glen Boulder, over to Bootspur, then down Davis Path to isolation. Basically, that same hike that we had did we we had done before Stomp with uh, with Jimmy Chaga, and then we came out Rocky Branch. We hit the second campsite and. You know, I was a little weary about the camping situation down there because the night before there had been like four or five inches of rain coming through, and Rocky Branch is a sketchy, a sketchy area to be be around when the water's uh, ripping like that. But we were mm-hmm. able to manage. It was like crazy hiking, and like it was basically hiking in a river. Um, but the water crossings that we did have to do to get to the second campsite, we couldn't get through the the water crossing in the first part so we had to bushwhack it's kind of a herd path along the uh the south part of the river and then we were able to um hop rocks over the river uh, to get to the campsite and then we went up there and it was interesting there was like another through hiker there was a lady that was up hiking isolation but she was a through hiker she'd done the at and the pct um so we were talking to her and hanging out and then there was another couple that showed up so there was like five people at the campsite, which I was shocked. I figured we'd be by ourselves on, on weather like that, but it was, it was a great, great trip. And you know, the, the, the photos and the views on Glen Boulder were amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We're, we're hoping to get out again soon. It's just a great time of the year, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I did, um, I continued my hammock camping. So I got the underquilt and that worked okay. I had to kind of get up in the middle of the night and I got, I was a little cold. So I, I put my, uh, blow up mattress underneath me so mm. a little bit of a feel on the underquilt i think but i gotta i gotta work on it <laughs> and we'll uh we'll save you sean for the next segment here but uh, we have a couple notable hikes a few tags slasher on your adventure uh we'll consider you for uh, a, a little shout out so we have a couple nick sidla did rogers ledge 35 out of 52 of the view he's making his way up there uh, tagged us again for a waterfall tour on that rainy course of a few days. Flume Cascade, Silver Cascade, Ripley, and Glen Ellis, and then a third tag through the Northern Prezies, so that's super cool. Uh, Captain Chris and Tracy Morgan hit Ben Nevis, uh, I believe up in Scotland, and that was pretty cool watching their adventure on 
Instagram. And then Wanda Roulette 688 did The Watcher. That's a somewhat of a rite of passage, I can speak. So congrats, Rhonda. And uh, I'm going to pick this one, though. The Ben Nevis definitely is the, is the killer. <laughs> it's a, that's quite a cool little trip there. So awesome. Yeah, and they, they slapped a sticker on the board up there. So well done. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Sean, you ready? This is your segment, so we're on to the main segment. We're going to interview you now. You ready to go? Ready to go. All right. Yeah, have you done? You, you must have. You, so you've done Chronicle. Have you done other podcasts before? Or is this your first one? This is the first one. I had um, WOKQ, the radio station, do Man Completes All 48 in Five Weeks with his trusty companion, and then WMUR did a segment when I did All 115. Okay. Nice. Awesome. But no, with uh, AT. Great. Well, I will. Uh, so I just showed from just to set things up here and then we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. Like I think I first became. So first of all, I became aware of this trend, uh, mostly with through hikers of people like carrying interesting things where they're hiking. Like there was a guy a couple of years ago that carried like a WWF heavyweight belt and he was called the champ on the Appalachian Trail. And I remember following him and it was like, you know, he got a lot of attention and then. You know, obviously, like we've had people, like we had Mel and Flocky on with, um, oh yeah, yep. you know, they've been on, and then we've had people. We haven't had people, but we see people that hike with rabbits and all these different things. So somehow you got on our radar um, a while ago, and we were like, yeah, this is guy hiking with a log. And yeah. the thing that appealed to me is that I believe it or not used to carry a log around when I was in college. So we, had, my log's name was Mrs. Leonard. So she was a little bit taller and heavier than um, than Larry, because, and she was painted black, and she had our fraternity letters. So Mrs. Leonard was the wife of the founder of our fraternity. So the founder of the fraternity was Nahum Leonard. So when you pledged our fraternity, it was like a six-week process, and you had to protect Mrs. Leonard. So you would bring Mrs. Leonard around campus, and we would pass it off from like... Pledge to pledge. Like, I feel like this would be completely illegal now. Like, they would arrest everyone for hazing. But back in the early 90s in North Adams, no one cared. So, I actually was like, I actually used to have a log for a short period of time. And, matter of fact, people would try to steal it. That was the big thing is like, if you lost Mrs. Leonard, you'd be in trouble. So, I was like, I kind of understand what he's talking about. Um, so, that was what we first sort of became aware of you. And then I know there's another guy out there with like a leaf blower. And then I remember you guys met up. And, yeah, you know, we've what? always joked about like, oh, we want to get you on. So we're excited to have you. Um, so maybe if you could just introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background, uh, maybe about your early life, and then we'll get into Larry and all that stuff in a minute. Okay. So my name is Sean Mahoney, um, and basically got known by 
for carrying the log, which actually dates back to 2004. So when I was in high school, I always wanted to join the military, but I didn't do sports. I wasn't really athletic. I wasn't the outdoorsy type, really at all. Just camping when I was little. Um, That's about it. And then when I was getting ready to go into the military, when I was like 17, so it's been like half my life, um, I tried running with a backpack and just running in general. And I didn't want to be singled out in any way, so I wanted to run with weight. So I tried a weighted vest, a backpack. And then I don't know, truly, I don't know how it came across. I I probably saw some Navy SEAL documentary and I couldn't get eight of my buddies to carry a telephone pole. So I probably just made one and a lot of trial and error. I I had probably like four different logs that I would have different lengths and try to figure it out. But something about it stuck. Um, And it was just Air Force medic that I was going for. I wasn't going for anything special ops or anything like that. And then when I was in... Um, I was stationed in RAF Lakenheath and I just kept hiking. I kept running with it then. And I think people probably thought I was training for something, which I wasn't. And then once I got out, I just, I signed up for a 24 hour Tough Mudder. So it's your regular Tough Mudder, but 24 hours, as many laps as you can do uh, throughout the night. And I was training for that. And my cousin wanted to hike and I figured I'd take the log with me and it didn't have a name yet wasn't named Larry at that point. What happened was is that I hiked Flume and Liberty and once it got posted on the page right away, it was what type of wood it is, how much does it weigh, what's its name. And I'm like, I, I, I don't have a name for it. And someone was like, name it Larry, like Larry the log. Like I should have thought of it. I was like, okay. Yeah, and then the whole time I posted, um, it really just gained attention and, and I ended up knocking them out pretty quick. So a lot of people started watching what I was doing and I think they probably thought it was for attention or something, but they didn't realize it's been for half my life that I've been doing, never hiked with it. But I got, after the first hike, Flume and Liberty, I just was hooked. All right. Well, we'll we'll get back to that. You want to go back in time for a second. So for high school, so you never did sports. Do you like you're an athletic guy now? Like you look like you're in pretty good shape. Like, do you regret not participating in sports back then? Yeah, in a way, I, I wish I'd, I played sports, but I was very outgoing. So I hung out with everyone, jocks, uh, skateboarders, everyone. So I always found time to hang out with everyone anyways. And I we would play outside, but it just wouldn't really be sports or anything. Part of me does wish that I at least attempted to play football or wrestle or something like that, but I never did. Got it. And then when you're in the military, like I feel like obviously like you don't want to be the one that gets called out for not being physically capable of doing things, but you also like, and I don't know, I'm not a military guy, but I would imagine that you also don't necessarily want to bring attention to yourself as being like the front runner either. So if they find out you're running around with a log and you're being like, you know, the extra crazy, like does that make it difficult in the military or the other, other guys in the military? Like, dude, like don't, you know, work hard, but like, let's not, let's not uh, elevate our game so much that they expect that much out of us. No. Cause I, when I ran with it, it would be, um, after hours on base and everyone was gone by that point or anyone on base, I, even if they saw it, they didn't know that I was medical or that I was trying to stand out. I mean, I was living in the dorms, so a lot of people didn't know at first who I was. I wasn't doing it for attention. I was just doing 
because off base in in England, the road's really narrow, so I wasn't going to run off base. I had to run on base, and it. Yeah, I think people after a while just thought it's just my thing. Some people would run with backpacks. Some would run with weighted vest. I saw a guy run with a gas mask. I don't know how healthy that is, but I've seen that. That was the thing. Yeah. What is it about the log versus like a, a weighted backpack? And I know Stomp has done a lot of the weighted backpack, but is it just the comfort level for you personally? You just feel like it's it's easy to manage. Yeah, so a guy's center of gravity is in their shoulders anyway, so it actually felt natural. It doesn't push on my neck forward. It sits right behind the trap, so it it does feel natural. And a lot of people don't know that the size of the log depends on your, uh, your wingspan. So it's just under your wingspan, so you can hold one end and be able to shift it over to the next shoulder, and you're not reaching for it, you're not scooting it down. I don't know if you remember the log that you had to carry, how you guys carried it, but I would have it over my shoulder and with one hand, and when that hand got tired or that shoulder, I would roll it over and be reaching with my other arm and just use that arm. Got it. Yeah, so ours was like, I think ours was like a normal like fence post, so it was a little bit taller. Our big thing was like, well, you were never allowed to let Mrs. Leonard touch the ground, so you had to like put it on your foot, and then like, <laughs> oh. the, like the, the brothers that were in the fraternity would walk up and try to kick it, so you'd have to like run around with it, but we would put it over our shoulders, but it was tough to manage, but I do remember like vaguely, like you would find the center of balance, and then you yes. could manage it pretty easily once you found the center of balance, I felt like. Right. So... Interesting. Um, hmm. And then how long were you in the military for, Sean? Uh, six years. Six years. I was Air Force medic. I was, um, <clears throat> I was in family practice for two and a half years. I did a small um, deployment in our Blad, Iraq for four months, just 120-day rotation between two other deployments. And... Then I was ER for two and a half years, and the rest was boot camp and honorable discharge. Nothing special. I didn't uh, change bases or career fields or anything like that. I didn't do HVAC. It was just regular medic. But I did learn combat training as well before I went to Iraq, even though I was there for security, just to have basic knowledge Hmm, for going down. Got it. And then you made your way back to New Hampshire. Um, and then what was, I know you had said you did that hike on Flume, but so you were training for some events and whatnot, and you thought that like mountain climbing would be a good good idea. But like, had you, t- t- other than the camping, you hadn't touched hiking or been in the outdoors at all? Right, right. So I would run with it, like I said. So I already had the endurance down. I, I wasn't typically a runner, but because I was training for it, I was running a lot and I would run with the log and longer distances where I felt like if I was to climb a mountain, I'd be okay. And going up flume slide, I don't know if you've ever done flume, but it can get pretty, pretty hairy in some spots. And I, I remember that was the first peak that I was climbing and I just thought I'm, I'm taking them up all 48. I was hooked. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, the question I was going to ask you was, um, as you start going, branching out into doing the Northeast 4,000 footers, like I'm assuming at that point, that's where you started to learn about um, overnights, winter hiking, and maybe doing some more group hikes. Can you talk a little bit about that evolution? So at that point, actually, it wasn't winter yet. So I started in July. So I got done 
when I started my first hike, it was, I think, July 17th. I got done August 21st. So it was just supposed to be complete the 48 before the Tough Mudder in November. So I was like, I still have time. Um, all the comments were, you know, are you going to do the NE67, the NE111? So that's when you add on Vermont, Maine, and the Adirondack, like you were saying. Um, so I went to Vermont at the end of August and almost knocked it out in a day. I think I the only the last one I had was Mansfield, and then I uh, went back to do that. Went over to Maine, but I got done in Maine around like mid September. Still had time after doing the 67. So that's when I went and did the 111. I drove four and a half hours to go to the Adirondack Mountains and get the two in the Catskills. Um, and I really had to make good use of my time. So I had to do a little bit more research when it came to how those mountains were because I wasn't familiar with the area at all. And to drive that far round trip nine hours, I had to make the most of it. So when I got there, I was doing traverses or like a, the ranges at a time. So I think it, I did it in 25 days, all the Adirondack and the two in the Catskills. So basically I was doing like the Dix range, the Stewart range. I would do uh, Colvin, Blake, Nipple Top and Dial together, or I would just find the great range where I would just piece them all together. And uh, But those were all day hikes. I still didn't learn about overnight stuff at all at that point. The AT was the first time that I actually stayed overnight, tried out the tent. It was kind of, you know, risky, but it was exciting. But they were... Well, well, before we get to the AT, like, so you finished the, you finished the, <laughs> the Northeast 4,000 footers, and then you had your Tough Mudder race. Did you do winter hiking between that and when you started the AT? So with the log, having even having spikes or crampons and, and all the gear, I think I had only the spikes. And I did Madison and Jackson were the only two winter hikes that I did. Got it. Interesting. Wow. So that's in November, I did the, the world's toughest. And that's when I just happened to be, what, it would be right around that time. I already signed up for... Um, yeah, the world's after that, when WMUR did a segment, a lot of people were commenting on what's next, you know, what's the next big thing that you'll, you'll do. And I, I really didn't have anything planned, but it just kind of lined up with a job and w my situation where I could take off four to six months. That's what I thought I could do it in. I realistically, I thought it would take six months because that's what I read. It usually takes people. I wasn't going to try to push it or anything like that but i think i did it in good time because i already had that endurance training and all the the mountains that i climbed prior to starting the at so when most people start doing eight to ten miles shelter to shelter i was doing 16 miles and I, it wasn't burning myself out i was actually taking it really slow because people heard what i was doing and i didn't want to be the laughing stock of the you know, the community, if I do like 100 miles and I think, oh, yeah, this is too much. I had no idea. I, had, I didn't know if I could do every day waking up 20 miles. That was going to eventually be the goal is to get around 22 miles a day because I thought if I can do 22 miles a day, that is 1% of the trail. 
it would take 100 days, but I know I won't get near that, but that'll add in all the days that maybe once a week I would take a, a rest day. That's how I started. And if I didn't need the rest day, I would just keep hiking until I so, rest day. Got it. So you you basically, you're hmm. carrying Larry the log up Amicola Falls. And a lot of these people, like I see the post of like these new hikers and they're like this set of stairs, like you would think that they're climbing up like Huntington Ravine or something like crazy. So you're just busting right through there. Um, <laughs> did you do a tent or did you do a hammock? And what, can you talk a little bit about your gear choice with, with the AT? So before I left, I... I know I needed help and needed to do my homework. I wasn't familiar with any of the stuff. So I went to REI and they had a deal on a fly Creek, a one person. And, you know, I looked at it, looked at the uh, dimensions. I feel like it would work. The biggest part actually gear wise that I was worried about was the backpack because a lot of the hard backpack, hard frame backpacks would be at my shoulder. So when I went to go switch shoulders, it would hit it. So funny story, I actually brought it to REI, the log. I didn't walk inside, but as soon as I was fitted for it, I was kind of telling them about what I was doing. And I was like, do you mind if I just go grab it and brought it into REI and you see them on like their little wires, like talking, you know, like who is this person coming in the store with this log over their shoulder? But unfortunately I couldn't get a bag from them because all their bags were um, hard frame. So I looked into Hyperlite and it was a very common backpack that a lot of AT users will use, but it's, it's a, it doesn't have the hard frame and it worked really great for me. Actually, I really enjoyed the Hyperlite and I had the flag. Wow. Yeah. So our guy got stumped. <laughs> 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 they couldn't get to the root of the problem. <laughs> I'm Calm down, stop. the old Calm dad down. jokes. I have the hyperlight backpack. So, um, so you got all your gear ready to go. Can you? What is your impression of? Because you know the AT is on my on my radar. I definitely want to do that. It's going to take a while. But actually, before that, people are going to ask me this, and I'm sure you get this question. I know that on Chronicle they asked you this too. But like, what's the deal with you having so much free time to be able to do all this? stuff are you like independently wealthy are you like a rich kid like what's the deal no no so honestly i live well within my means and if i can show you my place it's it's a studio apartment 800 square foot i live very minimalistic i don't really have a lot of things i'm not a a smoker i don't drink coffee you know i don't have that one expense every day that really adds up um and i took it very serious on my off time i would go hiking so you know, I had a lot of times that my friends wanted to hang out and have a party Friday, Saturday night, and I was going to bed at 6, 7 in the morning so I could wake up at 2 in the morning to go drive to New York by myself. You know, it was, I was very determined. I was very dedicated. My car, Honda hatchback, gets 40 miles to the gallon. Um, but I had a job with my friend who owns his own company, and if he needed me, he would use me. If he didn't, and he didn't, he gave me that option, I was hiking. So I do have a degree um, in allied health, but when um, Corona and, or yeah, the, the virus and all that hit, I, I kind of stayed out of the hospital. It was personal reasons. Um, and uh, I worked for him. I wanted actually a labor intensive job so I could stay in shape for the Tough Mudder. So it's actually kind of, it, it worked out. 
Uh, so it's a great way to stay in shape and then still go hike. And I was in really good shape. <laughs> I was in better shape back then, but yeah. it, it ended up working out perfectly where I had the flexibility and I saved up enough to do it in, like I said, four months or uh, six months. And luckily I did it in four and I didn't have to worry as much towards the end about the financials, but nice. Awesome. So you, you head down to Georgia, you're out on the trail, you got your gear. Um, how long do you think it took you to sort of get acclimated to doing the uh, the camp situation and setting up your tent and sort of finding your your stride in your routine, like deciding whether or not you're going to be a shelter person or you know camping off on your own? Can you talk a little bit about what is that, I guess, evolution like in the early days of the AT? So I, I did watch a lot of YouTube videos, and I knew uh, I, I knew a little bit about the pros and cons about staying in a shelter with the the norovirus, the little mice that run around at night or whatever. And um, which is it's not too bad, but uh, in the beginning, I told myself I was going to tent either way. What I had in my backpack should be what I had and what I needed. And it was a little while before I actually stayed in a shelter, but. Um, I had it in my mind in the in the beginning I'd do a tent and plus the the in the beginning when I left I started on St. Patty's Day and it was it's pretty it was pretty early and that's cold it was it was early but it was just a, a big crowd every single time I got to the shelter because I decided to hike longer I always got to the shelter later so it wasn't really even an option to stay at a shelter even if there was space which I didn't mind. I was already ready to go and set up my tent or I would just go to the next campsite. I wouldn't even stay at a shelter. So in between shelters, there's camp spots and then you have roads that come down to if you ever go to like a hostel or in town. But I would just always stay at around that shelter or look a little bit further and try to make it to the next campsite. Got it. And then did you connect with a lot of people or did you mostly... Um sort of stick as a loner yeah so you have what's called a, a tramley a, a trail family and it took me a while to to get one because it seemed like i was visiting new people every night or that didn't know about my story or i didn't know about theirs and we'd share it um, but there was a, a minute where there was almost like 10 of us um they were doing roughly the same miles i was the oldest they were like their early 20s um, but all the way from early twenties to when I was, I was 34, I think I was the oldest. There was 30, but most of them were mid to early twenties. But we, what would happen is they, I would leave early. I was slower and they would slowly catch up and probably get to camp before me, but we would always end up at the same site. So that was like the only time I really had a trail family from Virginia all the way to, I lost them in Pennsylvania because I went and did a 12-hour Tough Mudder, um, and then I got back on trail, and we met up in Vermont. Awesome. And then can you talk a little bit about – so you were hanging with the young folks. Like, what is, What's the dynamic between the, the young college kids and then the older people that are doing it at, at retirement? What is that like? Yeah, it's different to see because there was some people that were – trying to knock out the AT throughout years and they would only do sections. And then all of a sudden later on, this was the year that they retired. So let's say I met them in Maryland or Pennsylvania. It was them actually now just finishing the rest of it without having to go back to work. Then you had uh, college kids or bef- 
out of high school before they got into college. Um, there wasn't too many mid thirties, but there was, there were some, and then there were some older, really just a broad spectrum. I enjoyed meeting all of them. It was kind of cool to meet some that were from Europe. Uh, some were, yeah, it, it, from all over. Is is nice. Yeah, I met a guy uh, from the UK on Mount Washington. I gave him a Snickers bar. Great Dane was his trail name. Nice. Um, which was interesting. So he was telling me his story. Um, what about the log? So you originally, Larry, weighed about 30 pounds, but you, you had to reckon, I guess, adjust Larry, sort of make him lose a little bit of weight. How did you go about doing that? Uh, like, yeah, with a, with an axe off the, the ends and then sandpaper, I would just really sand it down, smooth it down. Because in the beginning, I would actually tape up the logs because I'm just having bark on my shoulder, kind of like, mess with my skin a little bit um but this was once i started hiking with it i, I felt like i needed to figure something out I, I there was two hikes in the very beginning that weren't larry um that i used a red white and blue log that i had it was just one more question that everyone had was you know what's underneath there they thought it was like a taped up telephone pole or a taped up tent or I, they had very weird guesses so i'm like i'll just untape it and maybe one last question but everyone still had those questions so yeah. it was just one last question with it untaped that's all interesting and then larry looks like it's splitting a little bit when i saw some pictures of it it looked like it's it's cracking a little bit i would assume as it dries out a little bit larry's gonna you know start splitting so how do you uh, maintain it and make sure that he doesn't uh, completely crack so, well, as of right now, excuse me, I have a different log that I use to hike the 52 at the view than Larry. Larry is retired. So Larry has been up all the 111 or the 115 mountains, but it's called the 111, um, it, the AT. But after that, I felt like with everyone signing on it, it was a great way to meet with other hikers and connect with them is to have them sign their trail name. And then anyone that kind of gave me trail magic or a part of my journey, let's say, I had them sign it. But if it got if it got wet, if I was sweating and it would rub shoulder to shoulder, it would or my, where my hands were, and it was raining, it would rub off. So all the trail names would kind of and people would sign over hmm. old trail names. I didn't have time to go back and rewrite a lot of them. So once I got done, I felt like I'll keep what's on it now. It does have a huge crack and it has um, some screws in it and some wood glue. I dropped it. It's been on some crazy hikes. It's been on on, uh, the Cliffs of Saddleback, which is in New York. It's been the Wildcats is where it actually got that crack, though, is I was coming down the Wildcats and I needed to put my foot where I would normally lower the log to. I would take it off my shoulder and put it to that spot. But I need to put my foot there. So I tried to palm the top of it and slowly bring it down. But it, it left my hands and it went down. It, it hit hard. And I had to bushwhack a little for it for it to find it. But after that, I just put glue in it and screwed it down for the AT. But it got beat up then too. But... Yeah, and then I know that there's a little, especially like in the early southern part of the AT, there's a little bit of a party culture. Did you ever, I guess, have any concerns about any um, any people that might not have been, 
the nicest people in the world, maybe they're going to like steal Larry from you and like take it up to the next shelter and, you know, give you a hard time. Like, did you have to like keep an eye? Because that was our biggest fear is that like the whole point of Mrs. Leonard was we had to maintain possession of Mrs. Leonard because people were going to try to steal her. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I, like it would have to me, it would have been game over if I lost it or if someone messed with it, even if they had good intentions and let's say they cracked it or split it. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, no one's going to mess with it. And, um, you know, people joked, they're like, oh, you're going to have it sleep in the tent with you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no one's going to mess with it. And once it got signed a little bit more, I felt like people wouldn't mess with it. But in the back of my mind, I still always had it within sight. I would always leave it against my tent. And then whenever I went in to resupply it, like Walmart or something, I would put it in the cart. I would roll it around with all my gear. I would bring everything with me. I wouldn't leave it outside. Yeah. I don't blame you because like you don't want I wouldn't want anyone <laughs> touching it. So Well one of my one of my interesting conversations in Walmart huh. about it. Yeah, but one of the times, like, I remember I came out of the store, and, and even though they were the trail family I was with were by the log, they were still like, oh, yeah, they came over, and they, they were picking it up. They wanted to see how heavy it was, and, you know, they were passing a shoulder. And I'm like, what's that? I'm like, why didn't you Why you let them do that? Yeah. Like, all right, I'm just going to start bringing it with me. And everyone actually, the, the further I got, I think the more people knew about it, and they would actually, like, help protect it, too. They wouldn't let anything happen to Larry, so got a little bit more comfortable but as long as there were a bunch of people around and they knew what i was doing it for they i knew they weren't going to mess with it that's when i kind of relaxed more but for a while i would yeah i'd always bring in the store with me yeah now how does the at change state to state like it i feel like my impression and i've talked to a bunch of people that have done through hikes but like my impression is that it just as you progress farther north the 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 number of hikers is less but they're more serious and they've sort of like you know they've they've got their they've got their act down and they're you know it's all not all business but like they're they're going to make it to Katahdin if they want to it becomes just a mental game and the physical people or the ones that can't get the logistics down they're they're going to be shaken off pretty early but can you can you talk a little bit about what you saw out there and your impression of how things change as you go north I think it's it's definitely a, it's pretty mental too as well. Um, I forget where I was to put it into into perspective, but they were it was it was a hostel owner too, and I was like, man, you guys must get a ton of people, and they're like, you'd be surprised because the further north you're going, um, the less people are are going to visit. You have southbounders as well, but in the in the beginning, you're going through towns and you have a lot of hostels, but as you go further north, it gets a little bit more remote. To more remote, like New Hampshire and Maine, are a lot harder because it's just not as many people make it that far. So trails I feel like aren't marked as much as they are down South and you won't have as many hostels and you won't have, um, the ability to resupply as much up North than you do down South. But you will see, I heard stories of people stopping on Washington in New Hampshire where they hit the whites and they just, the whites are, I mean, it's going to be the hardest part of the AT is going to be from, Musilaki, 50 miles into New Hampshire to the last 4,000 footer in Maine, uh, the Bigelows. And, and that's the real test because if you can make it past that, you have the 100 mile wilderness and you have a, a climb or two with the chairbacks and some mountains. But for the most part, you are good to go. But I've heard stories of people that even in the past that were hiking and they say either they get injured or money might come up, uh, financial or family 
they might have to get off trail. It's hard to get back on trail if you get off trail. So by that point, you're meeting the people that are pretty uh, headstrong and, and wanting to finish it no matter what because you make it that far. But it gets do tough. You think, do you think that you'll do another long trail or was this just a, a one-time thing? I want to do the PCT next year. All right, you're hooked. And you'll take Larry with you? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so, well, Larry has all the signatures, so Larry will have to say. Now, when I see people on the trail and I'm doing a 52 at the view, they will ask, is that Larry? Now, it's a different log, but it's a tough to keep hiking when everyone's asking me. So the, the short answer is always yes, but it's a different log. But it will always kind of be the concept of Larry the log and what I was doing it for, for veterans and and we'll get into that, but there was, there's always going to be that Larry the Log, whether it's Larry 2.0, whatever. It's just it's Larry the Log, but the one I used, the original Larry, is retired. But when I do the PCTO, I will find – good thing about logs is you can go out and you can find another one, stand it down, have different dates. I got four of them back home, but – I don't think they're PCT worthy. I'll have to get a good one for out there. Well, you know, like you, um, where, like where do you get them? Do you go to like big box stores and like get them from like fence posts, or do you cut down, cut a tree down, and actually like shave the bark off and make it yourself? Yeah. So my, the person I was working for actually, he lives in Sandown. I live in Hampstead. He's really close. But I noticed he had a bunch of trees cut down. Uh, his neighbor cuts trees and he made a nice stack of them and i was like man i could just a section off this one a section off that one and i I got all four from that one pile but what i'll do is i'll take a small axe i won't chainsaw or anything because i like you talked about with the christmas tree i feel like it's more of i don't know a bonding process or just uh, i feel like i appreciate a little bit more knowing that i worked a little harder for it and i'll take an axe and i'll just slowly chip away at it and then i'll chip away the bark and then i'll sand it down until it's really fine and sand down the edges where my hands will be it's kind of a process but getting it that right length and yeah. making sure it doesn't roll when you move it shoulder to shoulder it's sanded down pretty good it's as weird as it sounds it's kind of a process but it's a fun process Wow, that's it. That's interesting. I didn't. You wouldn't imagine that there's like so much that goes into it, but it makes sense as you're saying it. Like you got to make sure the balance is right, the length is right, that it's, um, you know, it's not going to rip your shoulders up with like splinters and whatnot. So that uh, that is pretty cool. So now the, the other issue you ran into on the AT is like there's this other guy out there trying to like take your glory with the leaf blower. Like, what's the deal with that guy? Did you, did you start hearing about this guy carrying a leaf blower <laughs> trying to like take your glory? So he left in February, I, he, February, end of February, and I was March 17th. But I, I could tell by the pace that I would probably eventually catch up to him. He he did the PCT and he carried a 30-foot garden hose. Hmm. And now he was doing the AT with the leaf blower. I heard a bunch of weird stories that the only response he'll give you, though, is that he's just got to get it to Maine. Um, but me and him, I feel like, were the two that were talked about, but... Mine, I felt like, had a story, and it wasn't for attention. I mean, like I said, I've been doing it for half my life. I would always run with it. And you can find people from Hampstead that could attest to me doing it back in 2004. I had pictures when I was on base doing it in 2009, all throughout the years. It's not like it's anything new. It only became something when I was hiking with it. But doing the AT, it was just 
something that I wanted to do. It wasn't, I didn't think it would be a big thing, but it ended up catching on. I ran into Leaf Blower in Virginia, and then I did the 12 hour Tough Mudder. He must have gotten ahead of me, and then I saw him again in. Oh, no, sorry. By the James River, he went into town, but I could tell I was going to pass him again. But funny thing is, is... I'm Where were we? Oh, so you were telling the story about how you were sort of flip-flopping with Leaf Blower. Yeah. So then I, I, I passed him by the James River, I want to say, in Virginia, and then I saw him in New Hampshire, but I had already finished at that point. Um, but in, in Virginia, I actually was passing the shelter as he, he said something. I didn't even know it was him. I didn't see the leaf blower, but we got a picture together and I post on the page. Everyone's like, oh, the picture I've been waiting for, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we, we talked about it on the show. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. So awesome. Now, can you talk about, um, so you were doing this, you were doing some fundraising for, um, for Wounded Warriors. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when I f- was doing the 48, everyone with all the questions were wondering why I was doing it. When I was, said I was training, I think a lot of people thought because I was military that I was doing it for the military. And eventually I, was, I, I thought if I did the world's toughest mutter, maybe I could do you know 25 cents per mile. People could donate or a dollar or whatever. But I didn't have it set up in time, and then I couldn't put it on the hiking page because it's not a fundraiser page, which I completely understand. But it's unfortunate because a lot of hikers were like, oh, I'll definitely donate, you know, however much, blah, 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 even in New York. But it was kind of a missed opportunity. But when I went on the AT, I made sure to have something set up. And I surprised how much... It, it ended up raising, but it felt pretty good. It raised uh, ten thousand. Oh, that's great! Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, good for you. That's cool. That's awesome. And are you still doing fundraising? Like, if you if you send the link over, we'll make sure we get that up on the show notes, and so right, people can donate if they want. So right now, I'm hoping to find someone that could help me do it um, in, a, in a in a better way because I'm using I used GoFundMe, and I know GoFundMe will take out money for every dollar raised. So I'm really trying to go from the money that comes in to the veteran. There's hopefully less steps to do that. I don't take any money that comes in on my end. It was just in the GoFundMe, and then I allocated it out. So for the PCT, if I can't figure out an easier way to do it besides GoFundMe versus going straight to the charity, then I'll do it that way. But right now, I close that GoFundMe until I do the PCT or the next long trail and figure out what charity I want to do it for. All right. Well, just get in touch with us. We'll make sure that we promote it as best we can. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like then you've got you've got this winter to sort of do your thing. And then when do you think you get on the PCT? March, April? Yes. Okay. I, I have to put in for a spot in November. Right now, my girlfriend. She's she, we're actually going to finish up the forty-eight four thousand footer. She's ending on Boncliff. Um, but we're going to do it this Friday. Good choice. And then I got, yeah. So we were supposed to do um, Kerrigan as the last hike, but we just did Kerrigan because of the water crossings. We weren't sure how bad they would be. But I told her, I'm like, Boncliff is perfect. I'm glad we kept kind of Boncliff and Kerrigan towards the end mm-hmm. because we had five pyramids and I forget which other ones. I was like, no, let's make sure to have those two last. So no matter what, there would be a good finish. 
Yeah, that'll be great. And then do you, um, so you're doing the 52 with a view. Do you do the terrifying 25s? Like, have you taken um, Larry up like six husbands or any of those crazy head walls like um, King Ravine or Huntington or anything like that? Um, I took, well, I don't know if it's a 25. I, I've taken across Knife's Edge. I've done the Watcher, which is considered, um, I don't know if it's considered one. Table Rock is right up in Dixville Notch. I, I, um, I can look at it from this window because he's he's in Colebrook. He's five miles from it. I see it every morning. Um, I've taken it. It's one of the Kingsmans or one of the tri not tri pyramids. Um, is the twins one of them? I know I've, I've sure. listen. I, th- I couple. I just forget what which ones that they were. Which ones they were. Yeah, it would be the tri-pyramid slide. I'm just curious if, like, um, you ever got into a situation where you were like, it sounds like you did. I mean, you talked a little bit about some some situations, but I'm just thinking, like, going up ladders and stuff like that. Would, yeah, you know, Percival would be a little and, and was it Morgan and Percival? I, I See, I like those uh, type of trails. So if I ever run into a chimney or a slide or, like, Knife's Edge or any of these, uh, on the AT, they say the Mahusik Notch is the hardest. Yeah. Or the funnest, because it's it's basically an obstacle course. So I will always wildcats is I think one of them. Uh, I if I have to, I will take it off my shoulder and I will put it up and I will climb up to that spot, take it again, move it up, or at that point keep it on my shoulder. But what whatever I do, I always just if I need to take it off my shoulder, I'll just do that. Like the Adirondack Mountains had a lot of those. With the Gothic cables and the Cliffs of Saddleback, wow. the Great Range is, is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. That was probably yeah, I that I did. Yeah, I haven't been out there, but I, I hear that. So, wow, that's awesome. So, any um, anything else that you wanted to plug? Um, not that I can think of, except that you know, if 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 someone sees this, uh, know that I'm just trying to do the PCT next and. Information-wise, I can use all the help I can get. I'm, I'm not trying to take any money that ever comes in for donations, but when I did the ATL, I wasn't sponsored or supported, and that'd be fine if I do the PCT that way too. I know I'm going to do it either way, but if, if anyone has uh, any way that I can maybe um, donate to other charities, I'm always open uh, for that, whether it's whether it's veterans or St. Jude children, Alzheimer's, anything like that, I, I know I could definitely get behind. And I feel like if I hike it by itself, it'd be a missed opportunity to kind of raise money for uh, honorable charities. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. let us know um, the anytime you want us to plug stuff. And then I'm assuming you're cool with it. Like if people see you on trail and they see you and Larry, like they can come up and say hi and maybe sign the log. 100%. I usually have the Sharpie with me and I get it because they think I'm – serious person or that I'm like a man on a mission when I'm hiking but I'm like I promise you I'm I'm, I'm not doing it to try to break records I'm out here just because I like to hike I love meeting people um, like I said I met from old you know elderly that are doing it in like their 70s or 80s or uh, I met the uh, she was five years old when she finished all the before her fifth birthday uh, Littlefoot yeah. Oh, Littlefoot. Yeah, I've met, I've met Littlefoot on trail. I met her uh, and, and her crew on the Bigelows. And they were, oh, we might run into you, so I don't know if they were watching where I was, but they happened to be doing the Bigelows, and we just happened to meet up, and I didn't have my Sharpie. 
So I've always here on out, I've been trying to maybe hike with them or figure out a way. Floki, you know, all these people that have done uh, all these crazy hikes or something like that. I met the guy who did Washington. He's almost done it a hundred times now. He's on like 95, I think. Yeah, that's Eric. Yeah, that's Eric. Yep. He's almost done. There is some characters out on the White Mountains for sure. There are some characters. So, um, Sean, this has been awesome, super interesting. Uh, as, a, as a fellow log carrier, even though my career was very short, like I feel like there's not many of us around. Um, so this was great to, uh, to be able to catch up with you. And I always love talking about the Appalachian Trail. I think that's super fascinating. Um, congratulations to your girlfriend on finishing her 4,000 footers. And then, you know, maybe afterwards you can cut down a Christmas tree and really, really score some. Be a good boyfriend. Nice. Yeah. So, oh, no, did we lose it? Uh, Probably. That's all right. Uh, you hear me? Yeah. Oh, now I can hear you. It's just your video. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okie doke. So, are we moving on to the next segment? Yeah, yeah, I think Sean. So I again, thank you so much for for joining us. We're just gonna um, we're gonna wrap up like we do one final segment. We'll reach in search and rescue news. Um, so we'll cut that separately, and then um, we'll have the. I think we're gonna release on Friday. So I'll I'll send you a link to the show uh, once it's out. But this was great. This is super interesting. I think Stomp's gonna edit it and put some sound effects in and stuff. It'll be awesome. Get some good log puns in there and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You well, bet. I'll see you guys. Oh, I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing some of the 52 at the view. Um, I was over by the Squam Lakes and uh, some of the ones you guys were mentioning. Oh. So maybe I'll see you out there a little too cold or. Yeah. 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 I'm always out every weekend. Like I've done 4,000 footers, the 52 with the views, the, the, the terrifying 25s, but I have like a lot of friends that are pursuing it. And then like me and Stomp are always, you know, we're scheming to get out for, for a hike. So I, I'm sure we will definitely run into each other at some point. Definitely. Don't be afraid to reach out and yeah. Yeah. Right on. We'll have to hike some time. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on with uh, short notice too. Cool. All right. Well, we will, uh, we'll catch up with you later and then Stomp, I guess you can stick around. We'll, we'll wrap up with this search and rescue news. All right. Sounds good. See ya. There's uh, some news here, some national and local. The, the nationals are sort of interesting this time around. Oh, and by the way, I, I had a conversation with Larry the Log uh, privately before Sean came on. and uh, just, just the log, not, just like, not the log. Sean. And for, for the single okay. people out there, he's actually single. So you would not believe what his favorite dating app is. Do you know what it is? Timber. <laughs> oh God! You've probably been scheming to figure that. So, so for the audience, listen. I feel like I like Stomp is like a mad scientist. Sometimes, like I'll see him on video. Like I'll do most of the talking during the interviews. I don't even know how we ended up doing that, but I think like 
the whole idea is Stomp's like the search and rescue expert, so he'll do the color commentary and I'll do the interviews. But he's scheming the whole time right. to figure out how many dad jokes that's he can all I do with, with the that's, guests. That's my role. You got like three in there. Oh, yeah. Right? I had a couple of good ones. Yeah. Like I, You got the stomp. Like I was trying to squeeze in uh, branching out. Like there was a couple of opportunities, but I couldn't get that one in there. Yes. Like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was wild. Like the story he tells about how he's like, you know, I got like a very like rocky going to Russia kind of vibe when he's talking about how he's got to like, you know, cut the tree with the axe and shave. Like I get it, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. Cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. yeah, it's like part of him now. You know, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I definitely want to. I gotta. I gotta catch up with him on trail sometime. I gotta see. Like, I, I just want to watch him maneuver that log. Well, I think I get so. the impression he's in super shape too to lug that thing around. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah, that's that's crazy. Anywho. But anyway, so moving on to recent search and rescue news stomp. So do you want to cover some of these national stories and I can do the local stuff? Sure. This is an actual uh, story out of. Let me see. The story's out of the uh, Kansas City Star, but a hiker broke her leg and spent uh, a night stranded in the Colorado wilderness. And what's interesting about this, she's, uh, let's see, she's in her 20s. She broke her leg near Silverton. And after time in the wilderness, she came to a location where there was a trap, a traversing train, a, a train that was just passing by, and it was the Durango Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad. So at 11:38 a.m. on Monday uh, morning, a few people in this train actually spotted her and stopped and were able to help her. So it's it's really an amazing story. So she lucked out. Um, Rescuers did assist to a degree, and there's an update on the story itself that confirms that people on the train spotted her and uh, were part of the effort. So it's a pretty neat story. Yeah, that looks cool. It kind of looks like, um, it looks a little bit like the Conway Scenic yes. Railroad. It doesn't look like, um, you know, it's like not a passenger. Well, it's it's like a tourist train, but it's like open windows and stuff. It looks like a slow-moving kind of train. So yeah, it's cool. very cool. It's neat. And then there's this next story here. A hiker is rescued after he's trapped under a refrigerator-sized boulder. So a 28-year-old Montana man was rescued earlier this week after he became trapped under a refrigerator-sized boulder while hiking in Washington. And um, he was airlifted to a hospital where he was ex- is expected to recover. But the incident began at 9.30 a.m. when the man's hiking partner called authorities to say his friend's wrist and legs were pinned by the rock. That's pretty terrifying. Wasn't there a movie about that? Somebody getting... There was, yeah. James Franco was in that. He like had to cut his arm off to, to yeah, escape. Yeah, interesting. They had to um, use air bladders, which are extra strong bags that can be inflated to lift objects to actually free the person. Amazing, huh? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I'm, I was um, as as Sean was talking about the watcher. Like I was thinking about that watcher. Like there's some giant boulders on that right side slide that like you, you just put your hand on them and they just rock back and forth and they're just they're just sitting up there like being held by pebbles. I missed that where. Oh, on the, on the watcher. watcher, absolutely. On the the watcher, like that right side slide yes. there. Like I, I remember like stepping on like a, a big size boulder that was like maybe the size of like a a, a, wa- a washing machine, and it was just 
you know, ready yeah, to go. It's pretty loose up there for sure. <clears throat> Tricky with a giant log. But Stomp, if you ever got pinned under a log, I would cut your arm off to save you. <laughs> and and, and eat Boulder it to survive? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> do you want to grab the next one? Oh, well, this is handy. Just in yeah. case you do cut my arm off, this could come in handy. Yeah, so this is a North Carolina flight nurse carries whole blood through woods to hiker who fell off a mountain. Hmm. So um, flight nurses in North Carolina uh, were sent out to uh, the woods to, I guess, help an injured hiker that fell 45 feet off a mountain. So the yeah. hiker had fallen from the top of Hawksbill Mountain in Burke County around 7 p.m. on Saturday First responders reached the injured hiker and determined that the victim would need a blood transfusion before making out of the woods. That's pretty intense. A lot of blood loss there. So they were able to stabilize the hiker. They set up like these uh, these lifts to get the patient back up the mountain, but there was high winds. So it was like kind of too dangerous to take the injured hiker um, to up, up, in, up in the basket for the helicopter. Right. So they had to end up carrying him down the mountain so as they were bringing him down um they had to basically dispatch these nurses to hike in with with blood into the woods so they call it whole blood i don't know what that means why what is that reference well i you have different components of blood you have the actual uh blood cells you have the plasma the, the liquid that the blood's in you know so there's different components of blood um so whole blood is the whole shebang i'm assuming um, but yeah, what I'm noticing here is it's flight nurses that were dispatched. So I wonder if these nurses were actually part of that helicopter crew and they p- perhaps lowered them and let them hike in. Yeah, well, it sounds like the way I'm reading it is that they may have lowered them in a safer area um, to, uh, sorry, a little background music there for the article, but it sounds like they lowered them into a safer area and then they had to hike in. But yeah. after all that work, they didn't even use in the blood. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the flight nurses so, determined the blood well, was well. not needed. Huh. Yeah. Well, so, interesting, though. It is interesting. So um, next story here is a story about a hiker that died after wood fell from a tree in Mount Baker National Forest. So this was top of mind for me when I was setting up my hammock this weekend. I was like looking at the trees, and I'm like, oh my, how the hell am I supposed to know whether this tree is safe or not? It's an interesting story. I think it applies to the Northeast for sure. I mean, whether you're on trail or bushwhacking off trail, it's definitely a concern you have to be aware yeah, yeah. of. So this is Mount, yeah, exactly. So this is Mount Baker National Forest, which is part of British Columbia. So this was a 59-year-old woman that was on an overnight hike with a friend, and she had a large portion of a dead wood, um, of dead wood fell from a tree overhead, and it landed on top of her around 10 a.m., um, the sheriff's office responded to the trailhead and called uh, Mountain Rescue. So they, the, the local Mountain Rescue was called Bellingham Mountain Rescue. Um, so they had to basically put the call out for volunteers. So uh, there were some other hikers that had become aware of this throughout the day. And um, they had you know, made their way to the hiker. But unfortunately, she didn't survive. So um, they had to do a recovery and then transfer her to the medical examiner's office. But there's not a lot of detail other than, you know, she just had some a, a section of the tree fall on top of her. And it's like, I think about that all the time. But also, do like, you? just setting up your hammock in particular is, is sort of like a, 
you want to take a look and see if you can determine if a tree is solid, but I don't know necessarily how you figure that out. Well, didn't we have a, uh, a hammock in, uh, recovery because a tree fell? Wasn't that within the last year? Yes, in, I think in Evans Notch last year, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's not uncommon. I think that was in the, like, the Wild River area. Yeah. Well, beware. Pick your trees appropriately. Yes. Yep. And then the last national global story here is that more than 40 hikers are trapped um, in Lankawi Talaga Tuja Waterfall. <laughs> so this is in... Good job. That was pretty good. That was pretty <laughs> yeah. good. So this is in Malaysia, of course. That's Malaysian. Yep. So 40 hikers are um, were reported to be trapped in this waterfall due to water surge phenomena this morning. This was on October 16th. Mm. So the local fire department rescue guy had said that the department received a distress call in the morning and immediately dispatched like a group of officers to go investigate. And once they got there, they were informed that there was like 40 hikers, mostly in their 30s, trapped because of a water surge incident following heavy rain. Mm-hmm. So... Obviously, like it took a little bit of time for the rain to make its way down the waterfall, but they got stuck behind it, so they had to get rescue ropes out in order to cross the river. There's some cool video of cool. Um, the fire department sort of on one side and then the the hikers on the other. And I oh. think somebody must have made their way across this like ripping river. Oh, it's below raging! The waterfall to yeah, it's raging. But somebody had made it across to at least set the ropes, and Excuse then they me. were able to make it across. So it's pretty interesting. So we'll include the video. Um, but it's the flooding in these areas just it 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 comes on very quickly so they just got caught yeah we don't hear too many uh swift water rescue stories up here but they do happen you know this weekend this last several days was raging for water with that storm that we had but uh yeah they do happen occasionally but no issues this oh, time yeah, rocky branch trail was like Rocky Branch and the the river was just ripping like crazy, and then that whole trail was just soaking wet. It was like oh, romancing bet. the stone type of like Indiana Jones just hiking up a river. <laughs> oh, um, matter of fact, you know what other video I saw was somebody posted a video. They were hiking down Garfield Ridge. Yeah, from that section below where the it's spring is. Remember we awful. had hiked up that in the waterfall. Yep, it was absolutely ripping. Yeah, the, these two guys were videotaping. It was insane. Yeah, that's notorious for being wet. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it was bad. It was bad. But um, right. but anyway, moving on to local stuff here. We got four stories here. So this was on October 11th. Um, Fishing Game was notified of an injured hiker on the Garfield Ridge Trail. I think, Stomp, you did, you did search and rescue news last week by yourself. You didn't, I guess we didn't do this story. I don't think so. Um, okay, but this is a 77-year-old man from Salisbury, Mass. So my neighbor, um, the guy was hiking with his niece and... I guess this this happened about a quarter mile from the summit of Mount Garfield where he tripped and fell into a tree and he had significant injuries due to the fall. So um, his niece was able to get a call out and stabilize him, keeping him comfortable, warm and dry while awaiting a rescue. Um, Conservation officer responded, hiked in to the location and determined that due to the severity of the injuries and how far he was from the trailhead that they wanted to call in a helicopter. So Mm -hmm. um, they got the request in, and the guard sent a flight crew to Garfield Ridge Trail, and they were able to... So I guess the the call came in at 
around 345, and they got the helicopter out to him by 540. So they, they moved really quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was placed in a litter, hoisted up to the helicopter, and then they got him to Dartmouth um, Health in Lebanon around 650. So he's the call comes in at around 345. He's in the hospital by 650. So that's pretty damn quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the um, you know using the litter is something you don't see as as often either. So that picture is pretty neat. You know, you have to be super careful raising that through all that canopy. Yeah, because I mean Garfield's pretty wide open, but like once you start getting down that, I mean that's a super steep trail at the at the very top, mm-hmm. and um, I'm assuming they couldn't get them up that. So it's not like you got a lot of room to play around when you're when you're dropping that thing into the woods, right? So, but they did give them a shout out. They said they were well prepared for their hike and they carried the proper gear to keep them warm and dry until rescue help could arrive. So good job to, uh, to both the hikers, the niece and the, uh, the victim. Absolutely. All right. So the next one is uh, Mount Monadnock, October 11th, um, 245 fishing games notified, um, of an injured hiker on the White Dot Trail, very common trail. Mm-hmm. That's like the main route up. So uh, conservation officer responded to assist and met the injured party around 4.15. The victim was a minor. He was part of a school field trip that was hiking Monadnock for the day. Um, the minor had slid down a large flat rock and sustained non-life-threatening injury. Uh, with the assistance of the park staff and a conservation officer, he was assisted down and arrived at the trailhead at 450. So there's really no um, no additional detail, but I can definitely see these kids goofing around and thinking that they can slide down some of these sections of white dot, and it's not going to end well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> oh, no, full goodness. send on this kid, but he'll learn his lesson. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's one of All my right, favorite then. peaks. I love Cardigan. Yeah, Cardigan's great. So um, this happened on October 15th at around 11 a.m. Fishing Game was notified of a hiker on the South Ridge Trail in Orange on Mount Cardigan. Hiker and his family had hiked up the West Ridge Trail and summited. I've only ever done that loop where I go up Fire Screw and then down to the main AMC mm-hmm. area, but I think this sounds like it's on the other side. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I've done it a, a couple times. Absolutely beautiful. Really neat views of Cardigan itself, yeah. Yeah, Cardigan's Grey Mountain. I, yeah. I want to get up there this winter. But the 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 injured hiker was a 26-year-old um, gentleman from Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So they were descending the South Ridge Trail when he slipped on wet rocks and moss, causing him to fall and injure his lower leg. So he was unable to make it down the trail. So the family called 911. Upper Valley Wilderness Response and uh, Fishing Game personnel, um, as well as um, fire departments from Canaan, Enfield, Lebanon, Grafton, Rumney, Warford, and Hartford responded to assist with the carryout. So that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, good response there by the f- local fire department. So he was helped down a steep section of trail by responders and then placed in a litter and carried the rest of the way. So call comes in at 11. He is at the trailhead by around 145 or so. So Fishing Game basically comments that this is the type of the year, this is the time of the year to be extra careful. It takes longer for trails to dry out when they get wet. Sure Obstacles does. can be hidden by leaves, and um, you need to be prepared before venturing out into the wilderness. Amen. Amen. There you go. You get a little religious there. <laughs> 
Hey, this this next story, man. I I tried to look up the name of this place. I could not find information on this area in Jackson. Um, Falls Ledge. Falls Ledge. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's I don't a know. We might have to do. It's a climbing area, apparently. Interesting. Yeah. So this is um, thirty-nine-year-old gentleman Falls Ledge climbing area in Jackson, New Hampshire. Um, gentleman's from Maine. He was climbing with two companions and fell, resulting in a debilitating lower leg injury. So couldn't bear weight on it. So hmm. Lakes Region Search and Rescue responded to the call for assistance. Uh, the victim was off trail for a short distance from Falls Ledge Hiking Trail. Uh-huh. It was determined that he was attempting the Fort Banger. You know that's going to be a dangerous one, the Fort Banger uh, <laughs> climbing route when he slipped and fell. It's not so, one banger. It's not two bangers. It's, it's four bangers. It's four bangers. Yes. <laughs> uh, but his fall, I guess, was arrested by his place protection. However, the impact of the climbing wall is what uh, crushed his ankle so, hmm. or hurt his ankle. So he was evaluated and treated by the conservation officers and members of Lakes Region Search and Rescue. They put him in a litter and carried him to the, the trailhead parking. So yeah. Um, no real commentary one way or the other from Fish and Game other than the online people to purchase a hike safe card. Yeah. Well, there you go. So so it was a relatively Q-word time over the uh, the last weekend here in the Notch. So yeah. some other stories. I th- thought it'd be a lot busier this second week out from Columbus Day, but not too bad, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. People, not complaining. People are being safe out there. All right. Yeah. Not going to complain, stomp. And I will say, just for the listeners to close out, um, I got my eye on a new hike. So I've done, I was out in the Montalban range, and Ooh. I'm going to be, I think one of the next hikes I want to do, and maybe you can join me on this one, is I want to get out to south of Mount Parker. Remember we did Mount Parker right in Bartlett? Yeah. I want to try to get this Mount Stanton and Mount Pickering and then the Cripples, and then Mount Langdon, and then out to uh, Mount Parker, and then maybe try to do like a little loop uh, over in Bartlett in that area there. So I've been scoping that that little trail section out. Ah, so you are branching out. Dun-dun-dun. I'm branching out. It's not even a 52 <laughs> with a view. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, so more to come there, and I think, I think that's going to be my next one. But I'm going to be out in Las Vegas next weekend, so I won't be doing any hiking but in two weeks i will wait a minute you're going to vegas i gotta go to vegas for a couple days wow what like business or something or nah just going with a a couple of friends wow cool super cool man golf trip you'll have to give me the uh, update on the level of the water on lake mead see what's going on there yeah if i get out there i don't know if we're gonna have time it's like a two-day trip but we'll, we'll see how it goes wow all right, cool, man. This is a fun, fun episode. Uh, Sean and Larry the Log were really interesting. And yeah, trying to keep it fresh for the listeners. That's right. Wrap it up. And you know okay. what I'm going to do right now, don't you? Have a good night. I'm going to log off. <laughs> We're going to log off. Oh, God. All right, that's a wrap. I'm hitting stop. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland of New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.